Well, good morning, church. You know, as, as Americans, today is the day that we, we celebrate our national freedom. And it happens to be on a Sunday this year, which means that as Christians, as we should be every day, right, but especially on the Lord's Day, we are focused on the amazing gift of our, our spiritual freedom that we have only in Christ. And I can't think of a, of a better way for us to focus our hearts and minds on that gift than to participate in Hope Rogers' baptism together, to get to witness that, to get to be a part of it, to be caught up once again in the story of Jesus. Now, it doesn't matter how many times I witness baptism. Not only does it take me back to my own baptism on a a cold January night when I was 13 years old, but it takes me back to the moment of Jesus' baptism as, as he shows us this new way of being a child of God. Not, not a child of God motivated by fear or shame, but a child of God motivated by the grace of God. And believing that everything we do from the moment we dedicate ourselves, give our lives to Christ, that from that moment on, we are caught up in his life. And that means that our lives will never be the same. So this, this week we're focusing on 1 Corinthians 15. We have been in this study now for the past 11 weeks. We've looked at various places in Paul's letter to that church in Corinth from 2,000 years ago where he's trying to help them get back to the basics. He's trying to help them understand that even if they've been a Christian for a handful of years, and some of these, these church members might have been Christians for, for a handful of years, but, but really not beyond that, that, that in some ways, with all the experiences they've had, they're just beginners. They're, they're still just starting out. And, and we've tried our best to, to put ourselves in that same frame of mind, that posture of spirit. And we've listened as Paul has reminded them of the freedom they have in Jesus to not have to live according to the wisdom of the world. To not have to constantly compete and prove their own worth, but to claim their priceless worth in the life and the death and the resurrection of God's own son. And, and I want us, as we look at 1 Corinthians 15, I, I kind of want us to start at the same place together this morning. I, I came across a quote this week as I was preparing and thinking about what is it that we're, we're really trying to understand as we read 1 Corinthians 15, and I want to share it with you now. And whether or not you're a note taker, if, if you've got a a cell phone with you, and it's got a camera on it, I would encourage you to take a, a shot of these words as I read them, because I won't be saying anything better. I can promise you that. These words have really stayed with me, and I think they help make clear for us what matters most to Paul and what Paul says is supposed to matter most to us. Christianity, you see, it isn't a set of ideas it isn't a path of spirituality. It isn't a rule of life. It isn't a political agenda. It includes and indeed gives energy to all of those things. But at its very heart, Christianity is something different. It is good news about an event which has happened in the world, an event because of which the world can never be the same again. And those who believe it and live by it will thank God 
never be the same again either. That's what 1 Corinthians 15 is all about. It's what the gospel is all about. And we're not going to be able to read the entirety of 1 Corinthians 15. It's, it's 58 verses. And, you know, just to give it a passing study would take you a minimum of 58 minutes. We're, we're, we're not going to do that this morning. But I do want to give you a sense of the overall argument that Paul's making about resurrection. Right, so in the first 12, 11 verses, excuse me, Paul kind of recapitulates, he retells the gospel story as he received it and as he shared it with this church in Corinth. He recounts the story of Jesus' life and death and resurrection. And his, his main thing that he wants them to grasp in these opening 11 verses is the resurrection is a fact. And it always follows the historical fact of the crucifixion. It's not a metaphor for new life. It's not a symbol that we can all start over at different times in our lives. Those things may come out of our reflection on the resurrection, but the resurrection itself is not an idea. It's something that shouldn't have happened that did happen. And because it happened, it has altered forever life. It has altered the future of the world. Okay? Then he moves on for the next section, verses 12 through 34. And he ends up talking about, and, and this, is, this is something he just assumes. So he doesn't, doesn't really explain it, but for Paul, it goes like this. this. This experience that Jesus goes through on Easter morning, it's not just a personal experience for Jesus. It's the beginning of something for all of us who belong to Christ. He, he believes it is logically necessary to understand that because Jesus was raised from the dead, all of those who commit their, their lives and their hearts to him will also be raised from the dead. It is inevitable. Now in our world, you know, we joke about things like taxes and death. Those are the two things you can rely on. Well, Paul would say, no, 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 no. Resurrection is just as inevitable as death. It's not a question. It's not up for debate. And Jesus, he might have been the first, but he's far from being the last. He starts something brand new that all of us get to be a part of. Okay, And then, uh, starting in verse 35, going through the end of the chapter 58, he spends a lot of time talking about something that I think we might miss when we read this this whole argument in our English translations because it feels like he's going in circles talking about, you know, if you don't believe, and we're going to read some of this, if you don't believe that Christ was raised from the dead, then what hope do you have that you're going to be raised from the dead? But, he, but he's actually saying more than that in his original language. He's talking about, he's, what he's really trying to get them to see is the importance of believing not in a spiritual resurrection, but a physical one. When he uses the phrase, raised from the dead, the phrase he's using is dead bodies being raised. Bodies that no longer have life in them being brought back to life. 
Now, there are other places that Paul talks about, Romans 5, for example, where, where Paul talks about the importance of the spiritual aspect of the resurrection. He absolutely believes in that. So do the Corinthian Christians. But in their worldview, especially those who'd been educated in, in philosophy, they despised the, the material world. They had no use for physical bodies. In fact, they were longing for the day when they would be set free from the bondage of their bodies. So they believed in the, the eternal existence of the soul, but they wanted those souls to be only soul and nobody. And what Paul says to them is, that's not a resurrection. Right? That's, that's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about the fact that Jesus got up three days after Life left his physical body. He got up, and God transformed that body. And he walked out of that tomb on those legs, bearing those scars. And that's the same body he's going to have forever. Now, see, that was embarrassing to them. It sounded like a fairy tale. It sounded like, like this confusion of of how the, the soul and the body should be separate and, and they should be categories that, that we never blend together. But what Paul is insisting, and he does this in other places too, you don't just have a soul, you are one. You don't just have a body, you are one. You are an embodied soul. Just like Jesus, and the miracle of, of him coming to this earth and living and dying and rising again, the, the physical aspect of this is crucial for, crucial for Paul and for us to understand what's at stake. And I have heard throughout my life, I've heard Christian people start to reduce the resurrection to some kind of symbol or metaphor. I have also heard Christians talk as if it's normal for people's bodies to break down and for them to die. And then, yeah, well, obviously it's, it's a logical progression that they get up and walk away from that. Because we're so familiar with the way the story of Jesus' life and death and resurrection work. But what Paul's trying to say is, no, this, this doesn't make sense until Jesus. And then, if we don't believe in this, this actual fact that happened on the face of the earth, that not only happened to him, but it's also going to happen to me and to you and to all of us. We don't believe the foundational truth that Paul believes makes everything else matter. Okay, now let's read from the middle section. Okay, we're, we're going to read verses 12 through 22 together. So, if the message that is preached says that Christ has been raised physically from the dead, right? That's what he's saying. Not just raised then how can some of you say there's no res resurrection of the dead bodies? That's the phrase he uses in Greek. If there's no resurrection of the dead bodies, then Christ hasn't been physically raised either. And if Christ hasn't been physically raised, then our preaching is useless and your faith is useless. Could you be more harsh than that? You're wasting your time. You believe in a fairy tale. That doesn't really change anything. We are found to be false witnesses. He's talking about himself and all those who preach the gospel. 
We're found to be false witnesses about God because we're testifying against God that he physically raised Christ. When he didn't physically raise him, if that's the case, and if if that is, then the dead aren't raised. If the dead bodies aren't raised, then Christ hasn't been raised either. If Christ hasn't been raised, then your faith, in case you missed it last time, right? Your faith is worthless. You're still in your sins. And what's more, those who've died in Christ are gone forever. I can't think of three worse things being true. Right? That, that our faith is worthless that we're still shackled to the destructive power of our sin, and what's more, those who've died in Christ are gone forever. If we have a hope in Christ only in this life, then we deserve to be pitied more than anyone else because we're foolish, we're believing in a fairy tale like it's true, and none of it's actually going to happen, right? But in fact, this is... This is the most important phrase in this entire chapter. He says, if, 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 and it's all bad, and it's all circled around this idea of Jesus actually getting up and breathing air into his lungs and walking out and and embracing his disciples, right? All of that fact, he says, it happened, but in fact, Christ was physically raised from the dead. He's the first crop of the harvest of those who've died. Since death came through a human being, the resurrection of the dead came through one too. And in the same way that everyone dies in Adam, so also everyone will be given life in Christ. I want you to bring up the next slide. Okay, so three weeks ago, before Jen talked to me about what was going to happen today, this was the title of my sermon. Uh, And it declares the most important thing that happened today among us, right? Hope is in Christ. But but as we think about this truth for all of us, right, it's that hope can't be in our abilities. Our hope can't come from our understanding or our interpretation of Scripture. Our hope can't come from our, our moral performance or our behavioral perfection, Our hope can only come from one place. Our hope is in Christ. And not just the things that happened to him, not just the things that he suffered through, not just the things that he he struggled with, but our hope is in the fact that when Christ gave his life, lost his life, had his life taken from him, he came back from the dead, and we will too. That's what Paul wants us to understand. Now, you may feel like, okay, Jared, you're going on and on about this physical aspect of the resurrection. Okay, enough, enough. And Paul would say, yeah, I'm not done yet. Because it has to be something that breaks into this physical world of ours. It has to be a reality that we can reach out and touch literally. I am so thankful that there's a spiritual aspect to the resurrection. I am so thankful that we got to watch Hope experience that spiritual resurrection that takes place in the moments of our baptism. It starts in that moment and never stops this side of the resurrection of all of those who we've loved and lost. 
I, I, I wake up in the morning praying that I'll encounter and experience more of that spiritual new life every single day. But Paul's wanting us to understand that as important and as central as that can and should be for us, it's only half of the story. And if we leave that other half of the story out, it's a half a gospel. And nobody needs half a gospel. Nobody needs to be a little bit saved. Not, nobody needs just a little chance to start over. We need the full truth of what happens to Jesus. And Paul says, what is happening to us? If you still got your Bible open, if you go to the beginning of this chapter, he uses a really interesting phrase. He says, to those of us who are still being saved. I, I love it. If, if you were to ask the Apostle Paul, hey, when were you saved? I think he would give you two answers. He would say, well, I was saved when Jesus died on the cross and he came out of the tomb. Or he would say, well, I'm, I'm not there yet. I'm still being saved. It's a journey. It's not a moment, and it certainly doesn't just hinge on a decision I make, and then it's, it's all over all at once. It's a reality that you and I get to live into. It's a reality you and I should be expecting. And, and what he wants us, I think, to really grasp here is the resurrection isn't somehow separate from what happens at the cross. It's all a part of the same miracle, Right? That, that the resurrection doesn't erase the cross, it completes it. That it helps us understand maybe in new ways why the cross matters and how the cross matters. I think Paul would say, you know, you're, you're not really able to ever fully grasp it. So you come back to these, these moments time and again. And the cross, it's the only way to get to the resurrection. There is no shortcut. There is no other way. And then as you think about the resurrection, as you experience the resurrection, as you anticipate a future resurrection of your body, it takes you back to the cross for you to wrestle with, what is going on here? Why does Jesus have to die? And, and, and when he dies, why does, why does God decide that cannot be the end for him or for any of us? Because it's always the end until Jesus and it changes everything. Why would you want to live forever shackled to the destructive power of your sin? That's why we need the cross before we get to experience the resurrection. If we're going to live forever, and we're going to live forever, we need to be set free. The cross and the resurrection, we need them both. And, and we find out in new ways, I think, all the time just how much we need this idea, this, this model of, of a man who lives for us and, and loves us so much he would rather die than live without us. And then because he would rather die than live without us, God says, ah, I'm going to let you live with them for all eternity. And that leads us to our last kind of foundational truth of this series. 
God raised Jesus from the grave to prove to us that not even death itself has the power to put an end to us. We might physically die, but we will not stay dead. Now, as you read the, the entirety of 1 Corinthians 15, he talks about you know, Jesus being the first fruit, and then all of those who, who've loved Jesus and they've lost their lives, they're going to be called back to life, and, and finally, death itself will be defeated. We're still battling against death. We feel it this morning uh, as we watch Hope be baptized and Mark should have been in the water with Jen. We feel, when, when Paul says, where is your sting? Just about everywhere I look, Paul. And then you know what Paul says to me? But in fact, Christ was raised from the dead. And he will raise up Mark Rogers. I I don't know how well you knew Mark, but... Mark needs his body. We all do. You know, we talk about heaven in ways that I think we don't fully understand. Because how could we? But here's what I want you to to grasp. Paul's not alone in this. With all the things we can't know about heaven, you're going to need your body there. Your body. You need your voice. I I need your arms uh, to to hug me in a way that only you can. I, I, need, I need to sing with you. I, I need... I mean, I'll never forget what it felt like to kiss Lauren right after my dad said we were husband and wife. Right? And I never want to live in any existence where that wouldn't be a part of, of my forever. What Paul's trying to say is, you're going to be you. You know, I've joked about this before at different places. I hope God gives me a catalog of my years and I can say, when I was 25, God. When I was 25, that's the version of my physical body that I'd like to hold on to forever. Not when I'm 42, okay? I got this COVID spare tire. I don't know where it came from. But anyway. You're going to be you, and part of you being you is your voice and, and how you move through the world. Well, when Mark and I would talk about the stuff he was into, there were very few things Mark loved to do that didn't, you, you didn't need a body for. Right? You need a body for. And, and he worked hard. On, he's going to want his body. I, he's definitely not going to want mine. Whatever heaven's like, it's enough like here that the things you can only experience with a body, they're going to be there. I, don't, I know there's stuff we can't understand, but, but there's some continuity, and doesn't that bring you comfort? You know the way the sun feels when it breaks through the clouds and you're just a little bit cold and you need a little bit of warmth and suddenly it happens? How the sun feels on your skin? 
Or if you're like me, the first sip of a really good cup of coffee first thing in the morning. And I was going to say bluebell ice cream, but I'll say two profs ice cream. <laughs> How it tastes on your tongue. Why do you think Paul's favorite image for church is the body of Christ? He has your hands and your eyes and your mouth, right? And if that's his favorite image of the church, why would he ever envision a future where Christ doesn't need a body and you don't need a body? We... Look, he says not all of us will die before Jesus comes back, but all of us will be changed. We'll all be given those resurrection versions of our bodies. And and here's what I want to leave you with this morning. Where are you guys? You guys can overhear me talk to the Rogers, okay? You're going to get to smell them again. And hold them again. And you're going to hear his voice, not a memory of his voice. Because God's going to wake your daddy up. And he's with God now. And I believe beyond a shadow of a doubt that God helped him see what just happened. And he's got a little bit of time to work on the first joke he's going to tell you. <laughs> but I want your daddy to get up. That's the promise of 1 Corinthians 15. It's what, it's what the gospel means if it means anything. Is that when our hearts tell us this can't be the last time. It's never the last time. He always patted me on the back a little too hard. The last time he said, man, you've got a skinny neck, don't you? <laughs> and he was joking. I was thinking about this last night. I can't wait for him to do that to me again. This is why we're here. Not all of us are going to, our bodies aren't all going to give out before Jesus comes back. But for those of us who do, he's going to wake us up. And we're going to come to our senses and we're going to look. And I'm going to be me and you're going to be you. And Jesus is going to invite us in. And he's going to say, uh, I want to hear your side of the story Mark's been telling me. <laughs> our world is full of this happened and then this happened and this happened and this happened. It's always a bunch of ands, right? And, and, this follows that, and this follows that. But in fact, that's the gospel. And I hope that all of us carry with us this, this morning people who we don't want to just see again, but people we want to we wanna feel again. And I, I, want, to, I want to tell you beyond a shadow of a doubt, with every conviction I have in my soul and in my body, you will 
you will. We're going to sing together now, and as we do, I just, I hope and pray that that fact, that truth, can be something that not only changes the way we think about the future, but changes the way we live in the present. No matter what happens, no matter how difficult things get, the greatest story ever told, it isn't over yet. And you and I are going to know when it's over. Because we're going to be with Jesus, and we're going to be with Mark, and we're going to be with every single person you've loved and lost who is chasing after Christ. The story isn't over. Let's stand together and sing.